0: The following is a recording of Pastor Doug Landrum of Grace Bible Church, preaching a sermon on Galatians 2, 15-21 on January 24th, 2021. It's going to Galatians two fifteen through 21 We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for the opportunity for us to get together again tonight and just hear your Word uh, taught. God, Paul tells us that um, this word is not man's word, but it is yours. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of having your Word, your instruction manual for our life. God, just be with Doug tonight. Speak through him. God, may we walk out of here changed and carry the word that we've heard tonight with us this week. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Matt. I just want to say before we start tonight that... It is such a privilege to be able to preach God's Word. I mean, it's just a privilege. And it's a privilege to be able to be with you to do it. So thank you for being here tonight. It's just a joy to worship with you. It could be well said that the truth both exposes and liberates The truth is like a light that exposes the darkness of a lie, while also liberating those who choose to walk in it. This is certainly true for Ricky Jackson, who is an Ohio native who holds the record for the longest prison term for an exonerated defendant in American history. He was arrested at age 18 for killing Harold Franks, being implicated by the testimony of a 12-year-old who apparently was not even at the crime scene. He was later convicted by three different juries. He spent 39 years in jail and was unwilling to accept a shortened sentence by admitting, crime to, by admitting guilt to a crime that he never committed. Later, Vernon, who was the 12-year-old boy who had implicated him in the crime, rescinded his testimony as an adult. Jackson was set free, and upon being set free, he said, and I quote, the kid told a whopper. Yes, a whopper he did tell that cost him nearly four decades of his life. And yet, when the truth came out, the truth not only exposed the lie, but also liberated Ricky Jackson, who had been imprisoned. And in an absolute sense, that's also what the truth of the gospel does for us. It both exposes us in our sin while also liberating us at the same time. John 3 says, after the famous passage of John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that the light has come into the world. But men love the darkness rather than the light, and so they don't come to the light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. But for anybody who is willing to come to the light and embrace the light and the truth of Christ, here's what Jesus says to us in John 8, 32. And you will know the truth and you can finish it. And the truth will what? Set you free. What Paul is doing in Galatians 2, 15 to 21, is he wants to make crystal clear what is the truth of the gospel. He wants to expose a lie and liberate these Galatian believers once again. Because as you know, if you've been with us over the past few weeks as we've studied this letter, that there were some false teachers who had crept into these Galatian churches and were telling a lie. They were essentially adding to the gospel of grace some legal observances that these believers, these Gentile believers, needed to observe if they were going to be really in with the people of God. And if they were to accept this lie, they would be imprisoned all over again in their sin. That's why Paul says in Galatians 4, 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles, watch this, to which you want to be enslaved all over again? Paul says, I'm out to expose a lie and I'm out to liberate some folks. And I hope tonight there's going to be some lies exposed and there's going to be some liberation happening among us. Paul here is doing what he mentions in the passage that Brian preached to us last week. In Galatians 2, 1-14, and this is an important connection between these two passages, Paul mentions the phrase, truth of the gospel, twice. In Galatians 2, 5, he's talking about Titus who was unwilling to be circumcised as a Greek in order to have fellowship with the big-wig Jewish Christians in Jerusalem because if you believe in Christ, you already have fellowship with Christians. Amen? Paul Paul says Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised, and it says, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And then he starts talking about his encounter with Peter in Antioch, Peter playing the hypocrite, and unwilling to have table fellowship with Gentiles once the James gang arrived, because they were uncircumcised and eating ceremonially unclean food, and Paul says he wasn't straightforward with the truth of the gospel. So having told us what the truth of the gospel isn't, it isn't having to add to Jesus in order to be in with the people of God, now Paul wants to say, what is the truth of the gospel? What is it? It's interesting to note here and it's really important that Galatians 2:15 to 21 is probably a continuation of what Paul said to Peter in Antioch. Now you remember, you go back to Galatians 2:11 to 14, Paul is talking about him opposing Peter to his face, all right? In verse 15, he hasn't stopped with that encounter. He's continuing to relate to the Galatians this encounter he had with Peter, quoting what he said to him. He say Why do you think that? Well, because of the pronouns that Paul uses. In verse verse 15 he says, we are Jews by nature. Verse 16 he says, even we have believed. Verse 17, even we have been found. It's as if Paul is saying, now Galatian believers listen, this is what I told Peter. After I posed him to his face, I put my arm around him and I said, now Peter, even we are Jews by nature. And Peter, even we have believed in Jesus. And Peter, Even we have been found. He's relating the rest of his conversation with Peter to these Galatian believers. And you say, why is he continuing to talk about this conversation with Peter? Because Peter's hypocrisy between his belief and his behavior is precisely what these Judaizers were teaching in Galatia. Paul wants to use the light of the truth of the gospel to expose Peter's inconsistency and then say, that's precisely what they're teaching you. And the solution for Peter's hypocrisy is the same solution for these Galatian believers, which is the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm going to give you two things you can write down as gospel truths, all right? Gospel truths that you can write down. Now, there's a whole bunch we're going to do in between mentioning these gospel truths. But here's gospel truth number one. We are justified by faith in Christ. Gospel truth number one. We are justified by faith in Christ. Gospel truth number two. We live by faith in Christ. All right? We are justified by faith in Christ. And then we live By faith in Christ. I want to tell you, I know those sound like elementary truths, but come on, somebody. This that's that's some good stuff right there. That's some good stuff. All right, let's start off number one with we are justified by faith in Christ. You can't really miss the Paul's point here in verse 16, can you? He's not mentioned the word justified until right now, and he mentions it about a hundred times in one verse. All right? Listen to verse 16. I'm gonna start with 15. He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Now watch this. Nevertheless knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. You got it? (laughs) Paul must believe, as we've said before, that repetition breeds comprehension. You're not justified By works of the law, you were justified by faith in Christ. But what does being justified mean? Here's a definition that Philip Ryken gives. He says, justification is a legal term, a word used in a court of law. It means to be proclaimed innocent, to be acquitted, to be cleared of all charges. In its biblical sense, to be justified means to be declared righteous before the bar of God's justice. Now, just think about that for a second. Being justified is being declared by God, the judge of all the earth, slamming the gavel and saying, acquitted of all charges. That's what being justified is. Now, you might have noticed that in Riken's definition, there's really two sides to justification. There's a negative side to justification, and there's a positive side to justification. Here's the way R.C. Sproul says it. He said, Justification by faith involves a double transfer or a double imputation. One negative, one positive. All right, so when you think justification, I want you to think one negative, one positive. Let's talk negative first. Negatively, God declares us forgiven, not counting our sins against us. Amen? Is that good? Negatively, God doesn't count sin against me. Listen to Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2. By the way, in Psalm 32, this is David after a year of being unwilling to confess his sin with Bathsheba, who was broken by God. He said, my bones melted like wax in the heat of summer. You ever had God's thumb on you like that? Let me ask you, do you remember what it was like? You're a Christian in the room. You remember what it was like to be lost? We talked to some folks, Jason shared his testimony, I've heard his testimony multiple times, even heard it this past week, him talking about what it was like to be lost. I want you to think about that. If you're a Christian, remember what it was like to be lost. You might have been young, that's okay. I remember what it was like to know what God's condemnation, that threat felt like. Here's what David says, Psalm 32 Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. If you know what it's like to to know yourself condemned, then you know how awesome it is to know that you're forgiven. Amen? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The negative side of justification is that God removes your sin debt from the legal record. That's the wonder of being forgiven. And David knew this reality firsthand. Listen to this scandalous language from 2 Samuel 12 when Nathan comes to David and says, you're the guy, you're the man who committed this sin against God. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He had a guy killed. Think about this. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also put away your sin. You shall not die. Excuse me? This is a guy who took somebody else's wife. This is a guy who had her husband killed. This is a guy who hid it and wouldn't confess it. And Nathan comes to him and says, The Lord has taken your your sin away. I think what kept Paul up at night was passages like that where he was thinking, how is it possible that a good and just God can say his sin has been taken away? Most people in America think they're too good to be judged. That wasn't Paul's problem. His problem was, how is it possible for God to be just and let sinners like David off? Until he writes Romans 3. We talked about this in the class today. This was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. He publicly displayed Jesus as a propitiation so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because he had passed over former sins. You say, how can he just take away his sin? Because the sin that he took away was put on his son. That's why. And Paul says Jesus was hanging on the cross to show God doesn't let his glory be trampled. He took out the wrath that David deserved on Jesus. That's how he can be forgiven, and that's how you can be forgiven, and that's how I can be forgiven. The negative side of justification is he doesn't count our sin against us. But that's not all he does when he justifies us. All right, here's the positive side. The positive side is that he counts the righteousness of Jesus as ours. After Paul had used the example of Abraham to say that by faith God counted Abraham as righteous, listen to this application from Romans four twenty-two to 25 Paul says this, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, watch this, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here's what Paul's saying. When Abraham trusted in God, he was counted righteous. Not because he was righteous, but because he was given the righteousness that didn't belong to him. It was God's. And he's saying, that's what happens to you. When we trust in Jesus, God doesn't just take away your sin debt. He puts Jesus' obedience as your obedience. All right. All right, kids. It's going to help you out, especially if you're taking notes. I hope. We'll see. The The best way I can think of to illustrate, and this is not original, the best way I can think of to illustrate what it is to be justified is to think of a bank account. In a bank account, Our spiritual bank account was negative infinity. All right, what's infinity? All right, forever, all right? So it's, it's, you know, you never get to the end of the number. All right, so your spiritual bank account was negative infinity. When you trusted in Jesus, God canceled out that record of debt, and you came to a zero balance, okay? That's the negative side of justification. But does anybody enter into heaven with a zero balance of righteousness? Nope. He doesn't just cancel away your debt. He fills up your account with infinitely positive righteousness. Okay? So it's not just that you're forgiven. It's that you are totally righteous before God's eyes. Is that good? You can respond. Is that good? Amen? This is why... Think about this reality. You have not been righteous one day in your life, but on the basis of faith in Christ, God declares you not just forgiven, but blameless. And did you notice that I said on the basis of faith in Christ alone? Who at the end of their life will stand before God and say, my obedience to your law was good enough to earn infinite righteousness? Who will stand before the blazing center of the holiness of God and say, I was good enough? This is why Paul says what the law does is shuts everybody's mouth. At the the final count, the law is going to keep every mouth closed because nobody will be able to say, "I, I did it. Paul says, Romans 3, 19-20, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no man will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The constant witness of the Bible is that nobody's righteous on their own merit. Nobody's going to make it because they were good enough. In fact, Paul is quoting here David in Psalm 143, the passage that Brian read. David has got issues with his enemies, and he's coming to God for help. And he's saying, you're going to have to answer me according to your righteousness because I don't have any. Listen to Psalm 143 again. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my pleadings. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for no person living is righteous in your sight. You've got to answer me with your righteousness because I don't have any. And if I am righteous, it's because i got yours. Go back to Galatians chapter 2 real quick, and I want you to see how comprehensive Paul is when he says this. Galatians 2.16, he says... A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, Jews, who have believed in Christ, we have believed instead of trying to earn it. And then he says, Since by works of the law, no flesh. Just to make sure we're all on the same page. Nobody. Christian, I want you to hear this tonight. This is so key. Being right before God is a gift given to those who trust in the only one who could be righteous. It's a gift. It's a gift given to those who trust in Jesus. He lived the life I can't live. He died the death I deserve. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Memorize this passage. Quote it to yourself a thousand times. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. All right, so that's justification. That's justification. Gospel truth number one, we are justified by faith in Christ. Now, here's an implication of being justified by faith in Christ, all right? Implication. And this is a big one. If we are all justified by faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, then... The, footing, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no those on the other side of the tracks in the kingdom of God. If you're in because of Christ, you are fully in regardless of your background or social status or race or where you came from or how bad you were before you got saved. If you're in by Christ, you are fully in. And this is, this is the, the implication that Paul's drawing here. Look what he says in Galatians 2.15. Now, I need you to pay attention, okay? This is tricky. <laughs> this is tricky. A lot of y'all been praying for me this week. Y'all pray for me right now. Okay. We are Jews, Paul says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. All right, now, let me ask you a question. You guys... You guys tell me. Who's Paul saying when he says we? We talked about this just a few minutes ago. Who's we? All right, Paul and Peter. Okay, he's continuing, telling the Galatians, this is what I said to Peter. All right, Peter, even we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. So Peter, Paul, and whoever else, the other Jews that were there at Antioch. Okay? All right. Here's what Paul is not saying. What Paul is not saying is that Peter, now you know no Jews are sinners and Gentiles are, in a moral sense. That's not what he's saying, okay? If that were what he was saying, he would be flatly contradicting himself in other parts of the Bible, like this, Romans 3, 9 to 10. Paul says, what then? Are we, Jews, better than they, Gentiles? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, okay? Okay? So Jews and Greeks, in a moral sense, all sinners. All right, so what is Paul saying when he says, we're Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles? What Paul's doing is he's citing the typical Jewish perspective that Gentiles who lived outside the boundaries of the law are pagans and sinners, okay? Because they're not law-abiding. Douglas Moo said it this way, Paul is almost certainly using sinners from the typical Jewish perspective that viewed Gentiles as, by definition, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. So he's saying, now, Peter, you know the typical Jewish perspective on Gentiles is that they live outside the boundaries of the law. Okay. But then Paul makes these two stunning admissions. He says, but Peter, even we have believed in Jesus. Meaning, Peter, you know our Jewish pedigree, it ain't going to cut it. Our supposed obedience to the law isn't good enough. And then he says this in Galatians 2.17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found, what's the word in your Bible? Sinners. Oh my. Paul, what you doing? What you doing, Paul? He's using sinners here in the same way he just used it in Galatians 2.15. Here's what Paul's saying. In order to be justified, we, Peter, me and you, and any other Jew that's been saved, we have become like Gentile sinners in the eyes of the Jews, and especially the Judaizers, because we have abandoned the law for justification, and we now live in freedom from the law in Christ, from its dominion. And now that's evidenced by the fact that we can eat ceremonially unclean food with these Gentiles and be totally right with God because being right with God is not by the law but by faith in Jesus. He's saying in the Jews' eyes, we're just like Gentiles now. Douglas Moose said again, in effect, Paul would be saying, although we Jews in contrast to the Gentiles would seem to have an inherent right to justification, even we have turned our back on the law of Moses and have embraced faith in Christ as the means to justification. In the Judaizers' eyes, listen to this, this made Paul and Peter and any other Jew who lived in freedom in Christ like a Gentile sinner. And I think Paul with some bacon in his mouth said, I'm good with it. I, we became like Gentile sinners in the Jews' eyes in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And you'll remember that the reason that Paul opposed Peter is that he said, Peter, you want to make these Gentiles live like Jews. That's totally hypocritical, because we became like them in order to be justified. We abandoned the law for justification. We live in freedom from the law. In their eyes, we're like Gentiles now, and now you want to make them like Jews again? You say, what's what's the application of all this? The application of all this is that we all go in the same way. No pedigree, no human merit, no supposed obedience to God's commands, will cut it with him. We all go in spiritually bankrupt, needing Jesus to do what we can't do for ourselves. That's what Paul's saying, we became like them in order to be justified which is why the gospel is the only message in the world that brings unity. I mean, we hear about unity all the time, right? In the, in the inauguration address the other day, President Biden used the word unity ten times. We hear about unity on every media channel. I mean, the, the nation needs to be united. The nation, wonderful. The nation does need to be united, but real gospel, real unity only comes about by the gospel. Because the gospel is the only message that can offend me down to my toenails by saying there is nothing you can do to bring yourself in. Everybody comes in the same way. This is why Paul could say one chapter later, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's justification by faith in Christ that unites us. Because I'm not better. This is why Paul cared so little about people's reputation, like Brian told us last week. He says in Galatians 2, 6, But from those who were of considerable repute, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism. Are you great in the world's eyes? Wonderful. God shows no favoritism. And I just want to say this to our church. As a church, justification by faith in Christ is what guards us from moral superiority. Because later in Galatians 6, here's what Paul's going to say about people that stumble and fall in the church. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is called in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of pride. Is that what he said? No. (laughs) In a spirit of moral superiority. In a spirit of showing how much better you are than, than they are because you didn't fall like that. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. It's justification by faith that says, I am literally no better. And I'm coming to you with gentleness because we need each other. So that's the implication. There's gospel unity given the fact that justification by faith in Christ means we all go in the same way. Okay, now there's an accusation. So we got gospel truth number one, which is we're justified by faith in Christ. Implication, that gives us gospel unity. Here's the accusation. There's an accusation of Jesus. Paul's responding to it. Look at Galatians 2, 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? All right, now everybody, put on your Judaizer hat. Got my Judaizer hat on. All right, Liam's got his Judaizer hat on. Good. I actually got her Judaizer hat on. Start thinking like a Judaizer, okay? For the Judaizers, if a Jew to come to Jesus abandoned their confidence in the law and lived in freedom from the law's dominions, they're thinking, well, Jesus makes Jews live like Gentile sinners, so he must be promoting sin. Is Christ a servant of sin then? Is he promoting sin by telling people to abandon the law and come to him for salvation? Paul says, meginoito, which is, may it never be. Now, why is it that Jesus is not promoting sin, real sin, to tell people to abandon the law and come to him? Because that's why the law was given. That's why the law was given. Galatians three twenty four. listen to this. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. What does the law do? The law takes your hand, okay? Jesus is there. Well, the law takes you by the hand and says, let me take you to Jesus. That's what the law does. If you're really hurt, you imagine, you know, just think about like you got a compound fracture in your leg or something. It's real bad, like one of those football injuries. Oh, And you get a mirror, you're like, okay, just show me how bad it is. Show me how bad it is. Somebody gets you a mirror, they put it up right there, and you're like, whew, that's real bad, that's real bad. Do you then say, give me that mirror, I need to perform surgery? Or do you say, that mirror is showing me how bad it is, I sure better find a doctor quick, right? You don't take the mirror of the law and try to fix yourself with it. When it exposes you, you say, oh, now it's sending me to the answer, Jesus. So for Jesus to use the law lawfully and have it point people to him is not sinful. So Paul says, may it never be. But here's a stroke of absolute Holy Spirit genius. Paul turns the tables on Peter, and he turns the table on these Judaizers. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What had Paul destroyed or torn down? his confidence that the law could justify him. Torn down. No more confidence that the law could justify me. He says, if I rebuild that, then I really am a transgressor. Because here's the reality. If you're in the room tonight and you're a Christian, you've looked away from the law to Jesus to be justified by faith in him. If you then go back to the law and say, I can use you again to get to God, You're using the law unlawfully, and that's the worst type of transgressor. Here's how John Piper said it. The transgression of all human nature is the presumption that you can climb your way on the ladder of law into heaven. Isn't that the source of all religion? And think about how awful is the transgression to take something that God has given to point us to Him and try to turn the arrow into a ladder to climb up to heaven myself. That's that's human nature. That's human wisdom. And Paul looks at Peter and he says, that's exactly what you're doing. Peter, you've been freed from the dominion of the law. These Gentiles have been freed from the dominion of the law. And when you scoot yourself back from the table because these James gang folks arrive, you're saying to them, you're not in yet, and you need to reconstruct the law, get circumcised, eat some clean food in order to be in. He says, Peter, that's the quintessential transgression of the law by using it unlawfully. The gospel and human wisdom just don't mix. Human wisdom tells you in every way possible it's your role to get yourself to God. And the gospel needs to baptize our minds, over and over and over again so that we don't try to climb the law to get to God, but see that the law was given to point us to Jesus. Here's a question for you. Having been justified by faith in Christ, how are you tempted to put your trust in you all over again? Think about it. How are you te- When you blow it, do you say, Man, I need to make this up so God will be happy with me again. That's rebuilding the law. Do you think I need to do something in God's service so to really show Him that I'm for real? That's trying to gain His favor. Be careful with that. Oh, if we've been changed, we're going to want to be in His service. We'll want to obey Him. But friends, never try to make your obedience the ladder that gets you there in any way. All right, so gospel truth number one, we are justified by faith in Christ. The implication of that is we have gospel unity, and we've dealt with this accusation of Jesus because Jesus is using the law lawfully by telling people, abandon your confidence in that and come to me, because that's why the law was given. Here's gospel truth number two, and I promise we won't spend as long here. We live by faith in Christ Jesus. You don't rebuild your confidence in the law in order to come to God, in order to live for God, because if you're a Christian, you died to the law. I'll say that again. You don't reconstruct your confidence that the law can get you there in any way as a Christian in order to live for God because you died to the law. Now, what does it mean to die to the law? Listen to Galatians 2, 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. If you want to reconstruct the law, you will not live for God. The way to live for God is to die to the law. Now, for a Jew to say that... (laughs) For a Jew to say that? Uh, Paul, really? The way to live to God is not how your human mind would think. I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. He says, you gotta die, you gotta die, you gotta die. Here's how John Calvin said dying to the law is. He said, to die to the law is to renounce it and to be freed from its dominion so that we have no confidence in it and it does not hold us captive under the yoke of slavery. Now, did you notice that Paul said he died to the law through the law? Okay? Think about this. He died to the law. Paul dies to the law. How does he die to the law? He dies through the law. I don't know how many times this week I thought about 2 Peter 3, where Peter says, Our brother Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. This is one of those things, okay? Like, Come on, Paul. All right. He died to the law through the law. What does he mean by that? All right, I'm going to give you a shot at it right here. The law carries with it a curse for those who don't keep it. Galatians 3.10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, raise your hand if you have kept all of God's commands perfectly your entire life. Chad is holding his arms down. Don't raise your hand right here. This is not the time to raise your hand. I was waiting for a hand to go up and say, we just broke the ninth commandment to not lie, so then the hand's got to go down again. No, we're all under this, right? Nobody has kept the law perfectly, so I want you to hear me now. If you're in the room without Christ, and I'm serious, listen to what that just said. Under a curse. If you don't keep the law perfectly, you are under a curse. Okay. So Paul says he died to the law. The law has a curse. And I think what he's saying is the law killed me. The law killed Paul. That's how he died to the law, through the law. The law killed him. How is it that Paul can be alive and yet killed by the law? Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I think this is what Paul is saying. When Paul believed in Jesus, God united Paul to Jesus in such a way that Jesus' death was Paul's death. And what did Jesus die under? Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul was killed by the law because he was united to Christ, and Christ died under the penalty of the law. So Paul, having died to the law, is now free. Here's how Philip Ryken said it. Now, as far as the Christian is concerned, the penalty of the law has already been carried out. The law's demand of death was satisfied in the death of Christ. It was the law that put Christ to death on the cross. When Christ died, Paul died too, at least as far as the law was concerned. He died to the law in the death of his substitute, hence his triumphant statement, through the law, I died to the law. Now listen, Paul is saying, in Christ The curse of the law has been carried out. I died to the law, and I now live in freedom from the law's dominion. Why would I go and re-erect it? Did you notice that Paul said we live by faith in Christ, but he said I was crucified, but I live? Paul. I have been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. You say, how can he die and he live in the same passage? Because the I that died and the I who lived are not the same I. The Doug who died and the Doug who lives is not the same Doug. Insert your name there. The I that was enslaved to sin and under the curse of the law was crucified and now the I that lives is so identified with the life of Jesus that for Him to live is me living. And so how do I live? I trust in Him to live His life in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And here's an application, and we're done. Having been freed from the law and living now in Christ, do you want to go back to trying to do it yourself? re-erecting the law that's pointing you to Jesus to be like a ladder that you can use to get yourself there like they did in the Tower of Babel. This is why Paul goes off on the Galatians in Galatians 3. He says, my beloved idiots, having started with the Spirit, are you now going to go on in the flesh? Are you so foolish? Foolish. say this calmly, we never, 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 never get over our need for the gospel. The gospel is the way you entered and the gospel is the way you go on, folks. You don't live by re-erecting the law. You live by faith in the One who is in you to carry out His life through you. One commentator said, it is then faith and not works or legal obedience that releases divine power to live a Christian life. Did you hear that? It's not works or legal obedience. It's not your effort. It's faith in Christ that releases power to live this Christian life. He says, in essence, Paul affirmed, if he loved me enough to give himself for me, then he loves me enough to live out his life in me. If he loves me that much, he ain't going to let me go. He's going to keep me. He's going to live his life through me. I can trust in Him. I don't have to figure out a way to keep Him good with me. I'm good with God forever because of Jesus. And in that confidence, you can conquer sin. In that confidence, you can live with power. In that confidence, you can testify to the grace of God in your life without nullifying it. Because here's what Paul says, to do anything else, thinking it's your effort, is I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes from the law, Christ died needlessly He said, I'm not going to make the grace of God invalid in my life by thinking now it's on me. If you live in the confidence that you are justified by faith in Christ, I promise you the grace of God will be active in your life. Conquering sin. Giving you greater peace. Am I right? Amen. Heard Matt's testimony recently. Living in the confidence that you are a blood-bought child of God by faith in Christ, and you can never improve your position. You're as loved as you'll ever be. You live in that confidence? The grace of God will be active in your life. Timothy George said this, and we'll stop. He said, if we add works of the law to the sacrifice of the cross, then indeed we make a mockery of Jesus' death just as the soldiers who spat upon him, the thieves who hurled insults at him, and the rabble who shouted, come down from the cross. Paul said, don't do that. Live in the confidence of being justified by faith in Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask God to do this in us. And I want to tell you, if you don't, if you don't know... What I'm talking about, being justified by faith in Christ, if you're like, this is all sort of foreign to me, please find me, find Brian, find somebody in our church family and say, i got to know, i got to know this gospel. i got to know this good news. I'm not right with him. I'm under the curse. I need Jesus. Come talk. We'll stay here all night if we have to, I hope. Is that okay? <laughs> we'll stay here all night if we have to. And for Christians, I just pray literally over our church, what a wonder it would be if we lived personally in our families and as a body in the confidence that we are totally justified by faith in Christ and what that would do as we walk in his power. He would do things beyond our greatest imagination. So let's pray together and ask him to do it. Father, we are grateful. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Your word to us is sweeter than honey. Oh God, what a, what a privilege it is to have you speak to us through your word. To be able to say, there is an authoritative revelation of God that he has given us. Oh Lord, give us a ravenous hunger for your word. And I pray, I pray, Lord, for unbelievers who might be here tonight, who might have even thought themselves saved, I pray that you would do what you did with Lydia and you would open their heart to respond to the things that have been spoken. And Lord, as a church, I ask, please ingrain in us the reality of being justified by faith in Christ and living by faith in Christ And Lord, do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask and imagine for the glory of Jesus through the church. Amen.
0: If you have questions about this message or about Grace Bible Church, please email us at info at gbclakeland.org or visit us online at gbclakeland.org. Thank you for listening.